0: We live in a chaotic world. I think everyone can feel that nowadays. The world seems to be in chaos. And that chaos, I think, in part is due to the fact that we have a culture of excess. Anything anyone desires at any moment they expect to have within at least... Free two-day shipping. Anything they want will be on their doorstep soon enough. And if not, two-day shipping probably before that. They can go to one of the hundreds and hundreds of locations where you can buy food and items and all sorts of things just in Olive Branch. And if Olive Branch doesn't have it, then South Haven or Collierville or Memphis probably has it. We live in a culture of excess. If there's a consumer product that you want, I was looking at deer feeders this last week, and there's about 50 different seemingly good options on Amazon, and they'll all be there in two days, and it's just a matter of looking at the reviews and opening all the tabs and deciding which one to get. We live in a culture of excess. And that's just material goods. Material goods are a big part of it. In fact, material goods are so cheap and easy to get now that people have more things than they ever have, probably in the history of the world. If you look at all the things that you own, you probably have more things than your parents did or your grandparents did or your great-grandparents did. And that creates a certain sense of chaos. One, because there's just so many things to keep track of in someone's life. And two, because we're always on the look for what the next thing that we are told or that we are taught that we need is. It creates chaos, and that's just material goods. You can think of excess in our culture with other things. Think about food, for instance, that we have an excess of all kinds of food. A lot of it kind of unnatural food that we've never had before. But we have an excess of it. There are warehouses and warehouses full of it. And we're able to get it for relatively cheaply. Again, just excess. Lots of excess. And that creates chaos. Chaos in people's lives, chaos in people's stomachs even. But that's okay because we also have an excess of pharmaceuticals. So if we get sick from the food that we eat, then we have a drug to take to make it all better, right? Culture of excess. You can also think about the excess or the over-sexualization of our culture. How there is soft porn, basically plastered everywhere on billboards and signs and on ads on the screens, how there is an excess in the carnal imaginations of people's minds due to things like pornography, how there is an idea in the secular culture how if you want any number or any kind of partner that you want, then you should be able to have them as many, whenever, whoever you want, and that creates a lot of chaos in people's minds, chaos in our culture that we can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman anymore. So much chaos because so much excess. So much chaos because so much excess. When you think about excess, I want you to think about the word that the ESV translates today as money. You cannot serve God and money. The word there is mammon. It's an older word and the newer Bible translation wants to make it more simple. But mammon is not simply money. Money in and of itself is not evil. Money in and of itself is not a false god. Money in and of itself is a tool to accomplish things. And it can be used to accomplish good, like what you put on your pledge card. That's not what the sermon's about. I said the sermon wanted to be about it. I didn't say I wouldn't mention it. (laughs) Money can be used for good, or it can be used for evil, and it can become an idol. It can become mammon. But what mammon is, by definition, the god of mammon is the god of excess. The God of mammon is serving, gaining more than you could possibly need, more than you could possibly have. And so when we have a culture of excess, we really have a culture that is serving mammon and not serving God. And when you don't serve God, that's what causes chaos. When I first started catechizing Sam, and I don't think he'll mind me telling you this story... When we first started talking about the faith, he came to my office, and one of the things we talked about was the chaos in our culture. How everything just seemed to not have any explanation. Everything seemed to be chaotic. There was no clarity or order to life anymore in our world. And what I told him and what I stand by is that there is only one solution to this problem. It is the solution that the church offers, and it is the doctrine that God is the creator of all things. God is the creator. And if God is the creator, then God is also the sustainer of all things. He didn't walk away from his creation. He ordered his creation to work in a certain way, to function in a certain way. To have a certain order, an organization to it, and if all of that is true, then he is the one who gets to determine how many material goods you get to have and when. He is the one who gets to determine the limits of what is excess and what is not. He is the one who determines what the boundaries of man and woman and marriage and sexuality are. He is the one who determines and who gives us our bodies that we would steward them, that they would be temples of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us every good gift from above, everything that we have, everything that we own, every thing, period. Everything is his. And he ordered it, and if he ordered it, then it is not chaotic. It is limited, yes. We are given to do certain things and act certain ways with his creation, absolutely. But it is not chaotic with God. And that is why Jesus says today in Matthew 6, you cannot serve God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who ordered all things, and the God of excess, the God of really chaos, the God of having as much, however much you want, of whatever you want, gaining it up, putting it in barns, storing it away, never really knowing what to use it for in the end, the God of chaos. You cannot serve both of those things. And the reason you cannot serve both of those things Jesus is going to go on to explain here is not just because of what we've already said, that God sets limits on things and the God of mammon is self-serving and has no limits. But the reason the other reason these things are opposed to each other, as Jesus describes, is that if you already have God, if you have God, if you serve God, if you worship God, if you are faithful to God, you have, you will have. You already have, you have always had, everything that you need. Everything that you need. And when I say that God gives you everything that you need, and when Jesus here describes how he gives you everything that you need, I want you to realize this, that that may be less than you think you need, and that may be more than you think you need, it also may be different things that you think you need. And this is important because I think you could read this passage and you could come away thinking, well, God just wants me to be kind of poor, maybe have some kind of basic minimum wage, have just enough food on the table, have just enough money in the bank account to pay the bills and not any more and not any less. That this is kind of purely a material, limited amount of a certain type of wealth or a certain type of care that God will provide for me, maybe my Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something like that. But then after that, who really knows? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying he will give you what you need and he will determine what you need as well. And there may be more than you think you need. Maybe you think you only need a certain amount of money, but he actually wants to give you more to bless you so that you can bless others with. That may be true. You have to figure that out in your own life, in your own prayer with God, in your own prayerful consideration of what's in your bank account. He may, You may think that you only need A certain amount of free time in the week. He may want you to have more free time in the week. Again, these are things that you figure out in your prayer with God. He's not just describing some sort of basic minimum amount here that he wants to give. The point is not that. The point is that he will determine what you need, not you. And when it is that people try to determine what they need for themselves... When it is that people serve mammon and try and gain up the stuff that they think is important, excess upon excess for themselves, this is when they become anxious. So it is no surprise that Jesus moves directly from this. You cannot serve God and mammon. You will have what you need into anxiety that these two things are so intimately connected. And when you're thinking about our culture and you're thinking about your own life, you can also think about the prevalence of anxiety today. That in the culture of excess, we also live with an excess of anxiety. And that kind of makes sense because if you're constantly trying to figure out what the next thing you need is or how to get more of a certain thing, whether that's money or stuff or time or food or whatever it may be, you can think about how that stresses people out, how that makes them worry that they're not going to have what they need. There's always more to get because mammon has no cap on it. There's always more to get, which means there's always more to worry about. And so I hear a ton about anxiety today. If you listen to popular podcasts or YouTube channels or if you're on Facebook or watch the mainstream news, you probably hear about how stressed and anxious people are. I barely remember ever hearing about mental health growing up, but now it is all over the place. Everyone has mental health problems, and I think that's partly because we just live in a culture of so much excess that people's minds cannot handle the chaos that is produced. And what's funny about this, and this is kind of a side trail here, a a rabbit trail, but What's funny about this is that I hear the advice given for people who are anxious. And if it's not pharmaceuticals, which often it is that if it's not pharmaceuticals, then it's things like you should take time to meditate in your day or you should try some intermittent fasting. And that's funny to me because actually those are Christian values that have been secularized to try and deal with the anxiety that the world simply cannot handle. If it were up to me, I would just tell people, yeah, meditation's fine. You should try prayer to the creator of the universe. Maybe that would work out just a little bit better than your little yoga meditation. And if you want to try fasting, that's great too. Jesus commands it, and it will teach you to live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, there is only one answer to this culture of chaos. It is the true God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit God, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins, God. That God is the only God who can actually take care of these things. And so anxiety is something that people will deal with when they are worried about trying to serve mammon trying to get more than they need, trying to get something else other than what God has determined that they need. Anxiety. As I was preparing this sermon, I read a commentary from the 16th century by a guy named Spannenberg. And Spannenberg had a very, very interesting definition of anxiety. He said, anxiety is nothing but to forget God. Anxiety is to forget God. Because if you know that God exists, if you know that God is active in your life, then you will know what we have already said, that you have everything you need. So why would you worry? If you remember God, you have no reason to worry because he is there and he provides. Something I will often get asked by Christians is, is anxiety a sin? Is anxiety a sin? That's a difficult question. It's difficult because on one hand, the simple answer is, yes, of course it is. If you forget God, if you don't trust in him to provide everything that you need, if you worry About something that you know God has promised to take care of, then yes, you are lacking trust in God, you are lacking perfect faith in him, and that is a sin. It is a sin that you can repent of. It is a sin that Jesus died on the cross for. It is a sin that is forgiven. I pronounce to you now that your sins of anxiety are forgiven. But the answer to that question is difficult for this reason, because Jesus doesn't really treat it like other sins. When Jesus here talks about anxiety, he doesn't condemn it in the same way he would something like sexual immorality or social injustice. But he simply says here, when you are anxious... When you're tempted by that sin or when you fall into that sin, the answer is very simple. The answer goes back to that definition we said a second ago, remember. Remember who the Lord is. And when Jesus answers the question here in Matthew 6, he says, remember the facts. Look around you. Remember where you are. Remember whose creation you're in. Remember what God has done for you. Just remember the facts. What are you worried about? Are you worried about food? Then look at the birds of the air. The birds of the air aren't like us. They don't go to work and get a paycheck. They don't reap and sow. They don't store up their money in a bank or a barn. They don't have grocery stores to go buy food at with that money that they have earned. They don't have other means to get money like the church Kroger cards that we have if anyone is in need to take care of those who are of the household of faith. The birds don't have any of that. And yet, for centuries and centuries and centuries, your Heavenly Father has provided for them since the very beginning of creation they've had seeds on the ground to eat they don't know when they're going to be there they don't know when they're not going to be there but yet they're there and so look at that and remember that those are just little birds those are just things that were created early on in creation those aren't the crown of creation you're the crown of creation you're made in the image of God and if you're made in the image of God and if God loves you that much If you have dominion over the birds, if God loves you so much to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, if God loves you so much to sacrifice his only son, if he loves you so much that he would give you eternal life to spend with him because he does not want you to perish in hell forever, how much more valuable are you than those little tiny birds? Won't he feed you? Has he ever not fed you have you ever gone hungry so much that you starved and died i don't think so you're sitting in these chairs right now what else are you worried about are you worried about clothing look at the lilies of the field they are more beautiful than any design of clothing that Humans have ever come up with, even Solomon, who had one of the greatest kingdoms in the history of the people of God, even in all his kingly vestments and his kingly robes, they weren't as pretty as the flowers in the field. And those flowers in the field, the winter's gonna come, the fall's gonna come, you can already tell you don't have to mow your lawn as much, and that stuff's going to die and it's gonna be raked away or mowed away. But your life, your life is longer than that. Your life is longer than just one season. God gives you years and years to your life. And has he ever not clothed you like he clothes the fields with the lilies and the flowers? Aren't you of more value than they? You can keep going with this too, whatever you're worried about. Are you worried about? When you're going to get the Amazon package that's running late? Don't you think that your God is more powerful than shipping problems and supply chain issues? Are you worried about being in pain? If you don't have the right pharmaceuticals, don't you know that your loving father, who is the best father that has ever existed, better than any earthly father ever has been, knows how to discipline you and chastise you with pain in the right ways and the right time in your life? Don't you think that he has your good in mind? As the hymn says, I love this line. I love it so much I accidentally sang it twice. Hopefully I didn't confuse you. What God ordains is always good. His loving thought attends me. No poison can be in the cup that my physician sends me my God is true each morning new I trust his grace unending my life to him commending Don't you know that there is no cup there is no poison in the cup your physician sends you why are you worrying Are you worried about what you're going to put on your pledge card? Are you worried about the fact that inflation is actually somewhere around 16% is the number I heard yesterday? Are you worried about the sufferings you're experiencing in your life right now? Whatever they may be, remember. Remember who God is. Remember that he created this world. Remember that he sustains this world. Remember your entire life. How with every suffering, with every inflation, with every sickness, with every ill, with every worry that you've ever had. Can you look back and can you say that God has not taken care of you, that he has not brought you through it, that he has not brought you to sit in these brown chairs this morning? Don't you know that God has your best? that God knows what's best, that God has provided what's best always for you. Remember the facts. Remember God. And you have no reason to worry. After anxiety, Jesus uh, concludes this part of the Sermon on the Mount with this amazing Verse, One of my favorite verses, the verse I chose for Sam's confirmation this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. Once you realize that everything is provided for you that you need, whether that's more or less or of a different kind than what you think you need. Once you realize that you have no reason to worry because... God is not like the God of mammon, but he is a God who gives you exactly what you need. Then the things will be added to you. The things will be added to you afterwards, but what do you do first? What do you do when you're not anxious? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does this mean? First, the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God means nothing other than having faith in him. Seeking his kingdom means being part of his kingdom, which means having faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Having faith that justifies, faith that makes you right with God in his kingdom, faith that brings you into the kingdom. And when you have that faith, when you are justified, you are made right with God. You are one with God. And when you are one in the kingdom of God, when you seek his kingdom, when you have faith in him to have that kingdom, you really, truly have nothing to worry about. Because nothing else actually matters. Even if you were to starve to death tomorrow, even if inflation were to go up to 200% tomorrow, when you die, you're going to heaven. For me to die in Christ is gain. There is nothing that this does not prove that God has provided exactly what you need. If you are justified by faith, it does not matter what man thinks about you. It does not matter what sufferings the world sends you. It does not matter what temptations your sinful nature leads you to. You have eternal life in Christ. Nothing else matters. And then, Seek his kingdom, have faith in him, be part of that kingdom, and then seek his righteousness on top of that. We know that the God of Mammon. we know that seeking excess upon excess upon excess will not fulfill you. You know what will fulfill you? Loving God and loving your neighbor. That's the righteousness that God sends. That's the righteousness of Christ, to love God and to love neighbor. So pray to God, love him. Worship God, love him. Give to God, love him. Live a holy life to God, love him. And love your neighbor too. Honor your authorities. Serve those who are under you, love them. Help your neighbor in his physical needs, love them. Live in chastity in your marriages. Live in wholesomeness with your families, love them. Do not steal, but help your neighbor. Gain for himself what he needs that God gives him. Love them. I can keep going through the rest of the Ten Commandments if you want. Speak well of your neighbor. Build them up. Do not give false testimony against them. Love them. Love God. Love your neighbor. Seek their righteousness. And when you do those things, when you seek out those things, you will be fulfilled in your heart, in your body, in your soul, in your mind. You will be fulfilled in a way that mammon, that all the Amazon packages, that all the pharmaceuticals, that all the sexualization, that all of the food, all of anything excess cannot fulfill you. Love God, love neighbor, you will be fulfilled. And then, having faith in the one who has redeemed you, and in seeking the love of God and the love of your neighbor, his righteousness, everything will be added unto you. Anything you need. And you will be amazed and you probably are amazed, again, if you look back at your life in the ways in which God has provided for you, not the ways that you thought you needed, not the ways that you thought you needed and how much you needed or how little you thought you needed, but God has provided exactly what you needed at exactly the right time in ways that you could not even imagine. He will continue to do so. He is faithful. He will do it. May it always be so. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.